Good evening. Welcome, everyone. Good to see you tonight for Wednesday night Bible study. Isn't it great to be able to come and just worship the Lord? Yes. Love that song. You're daring. You're powerful. That's a that's a really, really neat worship song. Well, we're here to study the words, so let's open our Bibles to Exodus. We're in chapter ten, and we've been working the last several weeks through these devastating plagues that God has brought upon the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt because Pharaoh has kept captive God's chosen people. And so this whole book, the book of Exodus, which really the word means the way out, God is going to take his people and he's going to deliver them from Egypt, from bondage. And so he's doing this work in Pharaoh's life. He's doing this work in the lives of the people. He wants his people out of Egypt. And Egypt, remember, spiritually represents sin. God wants his people separate from sin. This is the first illustration of it. And as we move into next week, next week we're going to get the 10th plague that really is unlike the other ones. And we see in that 10th plague some things about our Lord Jesus Christ, how God delivers us from sin. So all of these things are very pertinent for us as New Testament uh, believers, but here we are in chapter uh, 10, again, all of these plagues. Remember, they're strikes, God strikes. The word plague means to strike. So these are God's strikes against the gods of Egypt. Egypt was a very, very uh, uh, zoological, I mean, they worshiped animals, and they, they had gods that had heads of animals. You're going to see some more tonight. There's a couple more we're gonna, I'm going to show you tonight these uh, hieroglyphics, these gods that they worshipped, and they were, you know, plastered all over the walls of tombs, and still in Egypt today. I've never been there, but you can see these, these images. But this society was very pantheistic. They believed in many, many gods, and uh, God is striking out against each one of them, proving that he is more powerful. That's what the plagues really are about, and, and, and against Pharaoh, so that Pharaoh would let his people go. So with that, let's pray, and then we'll jump right into verse 1 of chapter 10. Father, we thank you for the word. I pray that we would understand tonight the truth of it, that we would apply your word tonight to our lives and help us, Lord. We desire to grow. We want to know more about you. And I so am thankful for the Bible, Old and New Testament, these historical accounts, Lord, that are so important. And I pray that you would teach us tonight as we read, as we study. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we pick up tonight with the eighth plague. We've looked at seven so far. We're going to pick up the eighth and ninth plague tonight. We begin with locusts, locusts here in verses 1 through 6, but it's really important to note, as we move to locusts, you have to keep in mind the last plague, plague number 7, the hail. The hail destroyed the first crops um, that kind of were at the end of the summer, and then it's just maybe weeks later, not very much longer until this next plague, the plague of Locust. If you look back at chapter 9, verse 31, you'll see what I mean. Look at verse 31 of chapter 9. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head of the flax, was in bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck because they're late crops. They come later. So we're getting a little bit of timing here uh, with this seventh plague. But we're in the eighth plague, 
Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that they may show these signs of mine before him. So God is going to do this sign, and he's hardening Pharaoh's heart because he wants the, the closest people to Pharaoh to, to turn against him. He, God wants these people to know that Pharaoh is stubborn, and he's made his own choice, and Pharaoh, as you've seen throughout these plagues, has hardened his own heart, and now God is hardening his heart some more because God is going to reveal to his servants, specifically in this plague, uh, all about him, verse 2, and that you may tell in the hearing, this is the other reason, that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and your sons' sons the mighty things that I have done in Egypt and my sons which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses, verse 3, and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord God of Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Humble your heart. Your heart's hard. When are you going to soften your heart? Choose. Let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left. That's why it's important to understand the hail and, all, and what it destroyed, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses. They're going to invade the houses the houses of all your servants, the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. In other words, this plague is going to be, you, you don't even know how bad it's going to be. This is going to be locusts in, in numbers that you've never seen or your, anybody in your society has ever seen, your history. And he turned and he went out from Pharaoh. So we begin here with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Again, God and the hardening of heart is allowing, he's allowing the choice that Pharaoh had already made. He's just allowing him and adding to it. God isn't making him do something he doesn't want to do. He's already decided to go against God. He's already is in defiance of God. Who is the Lord, he said at the very beginning, chapter 5. I don't recognize any God. These Egyptians actually believed that Pharaoh was a descendant of God. They, they, they worshiped the Pharaoh like he himself was God. And Pharaoh thinks he is God. He has power. If this God keeps coming in and, and, and his magician, magicians can emulate whatever these things that Moses brings, then they've done it, much to the dismay of the king and, and everyone else. But they were only able to do a few of these things. And so Pharaoh, that's been Pharaoh's excuse. I, I can, if I want to, I can do these plagues. I won't recognize you as God. So those are the things, that, and God says, I'm going to humble you. That's why I'm going to do this. I'm going to humble you until you'll finally serve me, or else if you refuse to let my people go, I'm going to bring locusts. Verse 5, and they shall cover the face of the earth so no one will be able to see the earth. I mean, think about that. And they shall eat the residue of what is left that remains from the hail. And they'll eat every tree that grows out of the field. They shall fill your house and the house of your servants and the Egyptians, neither your father's father. So all of this is going to come upon these people uh, there in Egypt because of Pharaoh. It's all Pharaoh's fault here, and God wants the people to turn against him. Again, this 
plague is going to be so powerful and so mighty. He says there in verse 2, interesting, he says, for the Moses and Aaron, he says that you might tell your son and your son's sons the mighty things I've done in Egypt. In other words, you're going to, this is going to be a story you can tell your grandkids. This is, a, this is going to be a big deal. So God, again, is I see him smiling. He's in total control. He's not panicking, not afraid of Pharaoh. Oh, by the way, Moses, you're going to be able to tell your, your grandkids, and they're going to tell their grandkids. This is going to be a story that's going to go on and on. And in fact, we're reading it tonight. That's how powerful these plagues are. We're reading about them tonight, all the things that God has done. It shows how powerful he is. He's sovereign. He's mighty. And he wants every generation to know about his power, his sovereignty over nature here. But this example of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, you have God's sovereignty in his work, but you have man's responsibility in Pharaoh. He's hard as hard. He's chosen to do his own thing. So you have that tension there between the two. Again, this is a great example of those. How long, verse 3, will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go. God is calling him to do it, but Pharaoh is not doing it. Volition, will, he has choice, and we're seeing that in Pharaoh here. He hardens his own heart. God hardens his heart. But God doesn't change his attitude or change his mind. Pharaoh has already decided what he's going to do. So remember, that's the point here, that the hardening of Pharaoh's heart isn't only just to add to what Pharaoh has already decided. Now, all of these previous plagues, we've seen God in his forewarning. He's he's gracious. He's merciful. And please don't miss that as you read these plagues. They're horrible, for sure. And they're getting worse and worse. Remember, they they affected everything around, and then the boils on the people. And now we're going to see this, the locusts, they're going to affect the people, and then the darkness is coming. These people are going to be fearful by the end of all of these plagues. They're going to understand that God, again, is in control. And the truth is, is that God is showing his mercy. He's, he's forewarning Pharaoh and all the people. Verse 4, or else, if you refuse to let my people go tomorrow, see that verse, tomorrow, I'm going to do this. I give you a chance today, but tomorrow it's out of your hands. I'm going I'm to bring locusts into your territory, an obvious warning here. So Egypt, it's already been ravaged by seven plagues. And the seventh one wiped out most of the vegetation and the crops. So now that these locusts are coming, it's going to take away all the food sources for the people. Think about it. Lots of people in Egypt at this time, they need food to eat. But the hail has destroyed anything that was left outside. Remember, you could bring your cattle indoors. People could be saved by coming inside. They were forewarned. But anything that was left outside was utterly destroyed by the hail. Now, a couple weeks later, there's this wheat is growing quickly. You know, grass grows fast, and it's growing. And yet the locusts are going to come, and they're going to eat it all. So there won't be any food source for all the people. So Egypt's going to face this famine that's unparalleled. It's, it's, they won't have any food. That's when Pharaoh's people have had enough of him. That's when the descent breaks out here, and uh, the people really go bananas. So you'll see that here. My next point, Pharaoh tries to make a deal, but notice in verse 7, 
Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Can you hear that in their voices? How long are we going to put up with Pharaoh? When is he going to do the right thing for the people here? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do, not, uh, do you not know that Egypt is destroyed? Why? There's no food. No food for them. These men are like, Pharaoh, you've lost your mind. You're a madman. Your, your pride has, has eclipsed the truth and, and your ability to make a decision for the country. Your, your decisions are destroying the country. So these plagues are having an effect on the people, aren't they? But Pharaoh, he makes this deal now. He's, he's made other deals, but he's going to make a deal here. Look at verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go and serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? But you tell me who's going to be going. And Moses said, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, we will go. For we must hold a feast to the Lord. Remember, they were, God called them to come and worship him. Then he said to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so, go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Now, Pharaoh's trying to make a deal here, and he wants the men to go only. He doesn't want uh, the women and the children to go because he's kind of holding them hostage. He knows if he keeps the women there, the men will go off they'll, for three days, and then they'll come back. And so he's trying to make this deal, but... Moses will not compromise, which is a really important point for any of us here even tonight. Pharaoh wanted Moses, who represents God and his people, just like a Christian, he wanted him to compromise. You know, give me, give, let's make a deal here. Let's work something out. In other words, you can kind of live with one foot in the world and, and continue to do those things that are really named as sin, called sin in the Bible, and, and also go to church and carry your Bible and say blessings and amen and pray with the rest, but you can still keep one foot in sin. But we're going to see that God does not want his people anywhere in sin. He doesn't want his people to compromise in any way. It's, it's always that way, isn't it? Can we try to compromise God's standard by catering to the flesh, doing something that feels so good. If it feels so good, why can't I do it? If it, if it brings pleasure for a moment, who cares? Well, God cares. God wants his people. He wants you and I to be sanctified. You know what that means? Set apart. Now, we're set apart spiritually when we come to Christ. When you put your, your faith in Jesus Christ, a lot of things happen. One of those things was you were separated from your sin. You immediately went from darkness to light. You immediately went from being dead and lost to alive in Christ. But God did a lot of things in you. And one of those things is he separates so, for you from your sin. That's why when you read Romans... Chapter 8, he says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ, remember? So for a, as, a, as a believer, I'm separate from my sin, hallelujah. Even though I make mistakes and, and probably tomorrow I, I, I could fall into sin if I'm not careful. 
But when God looks at me, he sees his son. And the blood of the Savior has separated me from my sin, even though, see, that's the glorious thing about being a Christian. But that's not an excuse to sin and stay there. We're not supposed to compromise. And this is what we're seeing in Moses. Moses is not willing to compromise. He's not willing to do. He's not willing to work it out with with Pharaoh and, and, okay, the men can go, but the women stay back. No, he says, all the women, all the children, everybody's going. We're all going. We're not going to compromise at all. If you remember in 1 Samuel 15, it was the first king of Israel, Saul. And God told Saul to go out and utterly destroy the Amalekites. You might remember the story. And so Saul and his army went and they destroyed the Amalekites. But then they brought, they, they looked around and they saw, oh, there's some goats and there's some sheep and there's some cattle and there's some gold. And so they, they kind of gathered up that stuff. But God said, I don't want any of that. I don't want it back in your camp. I don't want it in your presence. I want you to utterly destroy. I want you to kill all the animals. I want you to kill all these people. They've been an offense to me and I'm judging them and I'm using you, Saul. But Saul took some of the booty. He took some of the sheep Remember, Samuel said, what is the sound of bleeding sheep that I hear? And he was busted, Saul. Saul was busted because he didn't destroy everything. He compromised. Here's the verse behind me on the screen, 1 Samuel 15. says, then Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For you and I as Christians, it's so important to understand that we are not to compromise. We are to stand on the word of God. We're to trust in the Lord. We're to step by faith in the truth of God's word, and we are not to compromise. Compromise is always wrong for the believer. And God gives us choice and volition He allows us to make a choice. When you go to that place and there's two choices there and one is a good choice and one is an absolutely wrong choice, you're to do the right thing. Obey the scriptures. Do not compromise. Moses is that way. He would not compromise in anything. Pharaoh wanted him to compromise and he would not do that. So, God will never accept anything less from his people than everything. And in this case, Moses represents, I'm going to take everybody, the kids, the wife, the stuff, we're all leaving. You'll see that as we move through this passage. He doesn't want to leave anything behind. He he wants to be totally obedient to the Lord here. So Moses, when he first came to Pharaoh... And he, in chapter 5, Pharaoh said to him, who is the Lord? Who is this Lord that you're talking about? I'm God of, of Egypt. But with this seventh plague, you would think that he would finally get it. And now we're at the eighth plague, the locust, and he still hasn't got it. He still hasn't submitted to the Lord, even though the Lord has proven all of these things. Again, let me show you some pictures of these gods that we've already been looking at. I kind of threw them up on one page here. These are all the different gods, the 
the Orsus, the god of the Nile. Remember the first plague turning the river into blood. And then Heka, the fraud-headed goddess there, you can see where I, I can't remember where these are. I didn't look at all of those, but uh, oh, bottom, bottom right-hand corner, there's a little frog face and it's kind of kneeling there. And then there's Geb, the god of the earth, and that was the plague of lice, number three. Number four was the, the god Ra'aman there, the, the flies, the beetle, the scarab, the, the one with the face with the little, looks like a beetle there. These are the different gods in Egypt, and each strike or plague against them uh, God was going against their God. He's showing he's got the power. They don't have any power. He's fully in control. He's sovereign. He has the power. The fifth plague was, was the God, against the God Apis. That's the bull up in the upper left-hand corner there. They worshiped the bull. They worshiped these animals. And then number six was the um, a plague uh, against the medicine God Imhotep with the boils. Remember, the boils came against man and beast, but it was mainly against the priests. The priests got the boils, so they couldn't even minister to Pharaoh or anybody else, and God went against them. The seventh was against the, the god Nut, the sky goddess. That's the one uh, middle right-hand side where it's the, the constellation, and there's the image of the, the woman that's over those people. That's Nut, the sky goddess. Again, Hail came down from the sky. All of these things were against the people. Every animal, every person, um, and in the case of the plague of hail, nothing was left that was out on the ground. I mean, even the bean sprouts died. God struck them all. But in spite of all these plagues, Pharaoh is still not acknowledging Yahweh. Here's the result. Verse 12, here come the locusts. Look at verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth. You couldn't even see the ground. So that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. I don't know if you ever watch, you know, one of these animal planets or discovery channels and watch how fast those things eat. Have you ever seen how fast a locust eat? They just kind of go right through the leaves, man. They just, so if you had this many locusts, they're going to, in just moments, hours, they're going to eat everything green. They've invaded the land completely. They're eating everything. And Moses records here at the end of verse 15 that there remain nothing green on the trees or the plants in the field throughout the land of Egypt. So this plague is against, here's another god, the god of Set or Seth. Um, And we have a picture, I believe. 
and looks kind of like a dog face there. Um, that's set there. And as I've shown these different gods, I think a lot of people have asked this question. If you notice in the left hand of that god, you see the little cross there with a handle on it? Have you ever wondered what that is? I, I had some people ask me last week, so I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to dig a little deeper. That's an anak. An anak is a hieroglyphic symbolizing eternal life. And you'll see this. There it is right there. It's, got a, it's a cross with a handle there on it. And the Egyptians, they believed in the afterlife. They truly believed in the after. There was something after this life. And so this was their symbol that the pharaohs, even if you look at mummified um, uh, carcasses even today, uh, the sarcophaguses, sometimes the painting on the outside, you'll see the, the, the mummies will be holding, clutching these, these little uh, anarch hieroglyphic things, these little symbols of eternal life to the Egyptian gods. This is a really interesting thought. This was before the Coptic Christians who came from Egypt began to use crosses as a symbol of eternal life. We, we, in our mind, we have this thought that, you know, the cross was only something that, that came after Christ. But this was something that was, you can see this image all over uh, Egypt, and it represented to the Egyptians their form of eternal life. But they, they didn't know God. They worshiped all these idols. They had no idea uh, about God. But the Coptic Christians in the fourth century, they turned that into a cross because of uh, Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So they just kind of turned it into that in the fourth century. And this is kind of an interesting thought because the Christians that were in Rome and in Greece, they were under Roman control. And Romans used the cross, the Roman gibbet, to impale a body and kill people. It was their most gross and painful form of, of punishment. And so to a Roman, a cross was something that was vile to them. They would never put that around their neck. You know what Romans used as a sign of their Christianity? It's called an ichthyus. It's a fish. Remember the fish? The, the Romans used that. They would never put a, it'd be like you walking around with a, with a you know, electric chair hanging around your neck. You know, it's, it's just, it just doesn't make sense to you, right? And so the Romans, they used the ichthyus, the Coptic Christians used the cross, but this cross came from these ancient Egyptians. It was their sign. But no matter, God is showing he's got power over this Seth or Set, this God, and he assaults this God of the land and the crops, the harvest, with locusts, and the locusts just destroy. There's no more crop. There's no more green thing. They've, they've devastated everything green, even the fruit trees. And so here's my next point in verse 16, Pharaoh. He's going to fake repentance again. Here it goes. He's going to fake it. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Sounds, sounds really convincing, doesn't it? Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once. Well, he said that before. 
and entreat the Lord. Go ask the Lord to stop it. Take this away from, from me, this death. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind. The locusts came from the east. Now the west wind's going to blow them away, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. And to prove that this is a miracle and not just some kind of natural occurrence, here it is in the text for us, there remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. If it was just a natural occurrence, you'd have locusts around, but there's not one left. They came when Moses prayed. They left when Moses prayed. This is, this is a miracle. This is a, one of God's plagues. It's not just a natural occurrence. Verse 20, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. So, Pharaoh, once again, exhibits these words of regret, but not repentance. You know the difference between the two, right? I feel sorry that I sinned. I'm sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry that I feel sorry that I'm embarrassed. That's regret. Repentance is, uh, I, I confess because I know what I've done is offended my God. Repentance is even doing restitution. What, what can I do to pay you back, the person that I've sinned against? Pharaoh never shows repentance. Have you noticed that? It's always regret. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, just take it away, because that's already, it's already happened. And so he's, he's not repenting, it's just regret, it's false. Now we come to the ninth plague here in verse 21. It's darkness. Notice, then the Lord said to Moses, so there's no warning here. Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. Think about that for a minute. Not just darkness like if we turn the lights off in this building right now. And if we did, the emergency lights would come on and we'd all go, oh, neat. I, was, I thought about doing that. Let's just turn the lights off. Boom. But this is a different kind of darkness than we've experienced. Even different than I experience in the mountains. There's, we don't have street lights in the mountains. So when it's dark, it's dark. You can hardly see your feet when you walk outside on a moonless night. But this darkness, which may even be felt there at the end of verse 21. So this is not a normal darkness. This is a supernatural element that, that enabled the people of Egypt to fear. They're going to feel the darkness. There's no light. They're afraid. They feel it. They sense it with their emotions. It's a thick darkness, and it brings despair to all the Egyptians. Why? Think about this. Light is not only a physical property, but it's an aspect of God's character. God has just left Egypt. And it leaves this darkness. It's a supernatural darkness, and they feel it. They are fearing the boils came and went. The locusts, they came and went. Now there's nothing to eat and everything is dark. Can you imagine? These people are totally freaking out. They're, they're sensing fear. And I love what the Bible says about our Lord. There's so many examples of Jesus being light or God being light. Here's one in 1 John 1, 5 that I thought I'd throw at you tonight. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. And so God has left the space here. And he's, he's allowed this evil or this sensation, this feeling of darkness to be 
to sweep over the people there in Egypt. It's judgment. This is God's judgment on these people, and they're feeling the void. They're feeling the darkness there. And even though they have candles or whatever, they can't get away from this feeling. Notice verse 22. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They, this is the Egyptians, did not see one another. That's how dark it was. They can't see each other, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. Why? They're, they're afraid. They're, they're devastated. But, I love this, all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Again, this is supernatural. See, the Egyptians, they couldn't light a candle. They couldn't get fire working. They, they were just totally in darkness for three days. But, you know, in Goshen, where the Israel are God's children, there was light there. Why? Because that's where God was. He's the light of the world. So, again, this three days of darkness, one commentator said it must have had a tremendous psychological impact on the nation as a whole. And this was a challenge against the, the most powerful god of Egypt, Ra. Ra, I think I've got a, this is the sun god. See the big sun orb over his head? A lot of these, these gods had human bodies with a funky head. And this one, you can see, that's what that is, the sun over the head of, of this god. And so God was assaulting, God was challenging their powerful Egyptian sun god, Ra, with his darkness. Now, here in the final verses here, beginning in verse 24, we see my next point here, Pharaoh's final compromise. Notice, then Pharaoh called to Moses, and he said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. First he said, you know, leave the women and children behind. Now he's saying, okay, take the women and children, but leave the, the flocks here. Let your little ones go with you, but sacrifice. Uh, but Moses said, you must also give us sacrifice of burnt. I got to take the animals. These are what we sacrifice to the Lord that we may sacrifice to God. Our livestock, verse 26, all shall, shall go with us. And I love what he says here. Not a hoof shall be left behind. See how Moses is not going to compromise. He's obeying God to the, to the max here. He's not going to do anything. He's not going to make a deal with uh, Pharaoh. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know what we must, or, or what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. God's going to show us what. So we have to take all of them with us. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. So Pharaoh, even after this ninth plague, he still doesn't know and won't acknowledge God. That's the key here. Okay, you can take part of them. Just stop the plague. But he's still not acknowledging God. That's what God is trying to get through to him. He's got to acknowledge that God is the Lord. Remember, he said, who is the Lord? So God is showing him who he is and how powerful he is. And Moses tells Pharaoh here that, that he will not compromise at all. And again, not a hoof shall be left behind. Just think about that. Everything belongs to God. All the animals belong to God. All the children belong to God. All the people, and God wants all of them out 
of Israel. And when you think about this, think about the cleansing. As they go through the Red Sea, guess what? It's, gonna, it's like a washing machine. You know, the Pharaoh army is going to follow and threaten, and yet not a hoof mark. It's all washed away. God wants to take his people and all their stuff and get them out of sin, Egypt. That's God's point. That's what God's going to do. You can see it throughout the story in these little ways, but not a hoof print will be left behind. God's going to erase it all. In other words, God wants his people completely out of sin. Verse 28, then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. And Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Again, Pharaoh, is, is, he hasn't confessed that Yahweh is in control. He's just mad at, at Moses, and he threatens Moses here with that statement that uh, if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. Again, after all these plagues, he still has not relented at all. Now, the 10th plague is so unique that I, I want to give it a whole night. We'll, we'll look next week at the 10th plague. Uh, but here's, here's what we're learning from the plagues. What, what are they about? Or what's God's purpose for the plagues? Number one, we see in Pharaoh that sin just hardens him more and more and more. His denial of who God is, his denial of God's sovereignty, his denial of God's power, his heart is getting hard. Where did it start? With a sin. Sin does that, Christian. You start small, and then you become numb to whatever it is. Well, you know, Lord, it won't, it won't matter. My wife doesn't know that I'm texting this other woman. It's just a little sin. It's just a little conversation. And then it goes further and further and further. Sin just hardens the heart. And God doesn't want us to have anything to do with it. Pharaoh becomes an example of that. We see that in Pharaoh. These plagues went on for weeks. Many believe a couple of months, I think in three or maybe four months, with the seasons that we just saw between the hail and the the growing of the wheat. But they come in pretty rapid succession, wouldn't you agree? It wasn't years between, just weeks between. These devastating plagues, the land is now completely devoid of anything green. Nothing's growing. A lot of the livestock have died because of the hail. The, the people are, they, they can't stand their leader. This guy's, this guy's gone bananas. They're all saying that. Pharaoh has, has lost it all there. So, Again, the purpose in the plague was to show for you and I that a little bit of sin will just take us further and further and get us harder and harder and harder. So Christian, beware. The question is, how did Pharaoh, or how does anyone become this hard, this so hard to sin? Well, Pharaoh believed he was unaccountable. He thought he was God. He didn't have to answer to God. He he didn't recognize God. Instead of seeing God in the plagues, he just rationalized them away because he could get his magicians to do similar things. So he justified his behavior. I'm not going to lose my workforce, my income stream, or my my powerful cities that I'm building with this labor force, these slaves. He's filled with pride. 
He's willing to negotiate for, for a moment, just to save face for just, just a moment, but he's not willing to repent at all. These are the same things that people do every day around you. These are the same things you used to do before you came to Christ. Pride kept you away. A small sin just got gr greater and greater. And again, Christians, beware. Pride can keep you away from the deeper things of God. Walking with the Lord daily, praying, worshiping, fellowshipping with God's people. Sin, just, you start, you know, where did they go? Where did that person go? Esther and I were talking about this person we'd known for years. And where did they go? What happened? Little bit of sin. Their heart began to get hard in just a small little area, and, and then they began to justify it. And they put themselves over themselves. They judged themselves. I can do whatever I want. They rationalized it away. Happens all the time. People do those things, and it's very sad when you see it. I, I see it. I see it in my own life. I have to challenge myself all the time. That's why I need to be in the, the Word of God. But, but let me just close in another text, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 1, because I want to show you some things about hard hearts. I've already taken you to the book of Romans a couple of times in our study uh, on these plagues, but again, I want to show you God has always revealed himself in creation. He's always revealed himself to people. He shows that there's an order, that there's beauty. I mean, People all around you, you know, they're doing all these fun things. They're, they're hiking and they're enjoying rivers and they, they surf on the ocean. They enjoy the outdoors. People that are godless. Nature is all around them, but they ignore God and they ignore all those wonderful things of life. But notice in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. I'm going to read a few of these verses. So notice with me here in Romans 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world... God's or his invisible attributes are clearly seen. How? Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead can be seen so that all people, everyone is without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made by corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, creeping things, the gods of Egypt. You see them there? Verse 24, therefore, God also gave them up. There's the heart being hardened. Why? Because they made a choice to ignore the God of creation and all the order in the universe and, and the cycles of seasons and the growth patterns and all the blessings God's made on this planet. They, they, they denied God. They turned away from God. And it's their pride. And so God gave them up. Their hearts were hardened. God gave them up to uncleanness. In the lusts of their hearts, middle of verse 24, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie 
and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Why did God give him up? Why did God allow his heart to be hard? Why did Pharaoh harden his own heart? Because he chose not to believe in God. And he chose to worship all the gods. Pastor Lee, how come you showed us all these God pictures? Because I want you to get it. I want you to understand. Pharaoh in this godless society of Egypt represents sin. And God wants his people out of there. He can't even come down into the Goshen and have a worship session there in Egypt. He wants them out of that place. He wants to draw them away for days. He wants to get them away from sin so he can have fellowship with them. Christian, if you're in sin, how can you have fellowship with God? If you're rationalizing your sin, you cannot have true fellowship with God. Yes, you can carry a Bible. You can smile and come to church and say, amen. Hey, brother, how are you? You can't hide from God. God sees the heart. God judges the heart. You need to repent, not regret. Remember the difference. Don't regret your sin. Don't say, I'm sorry I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. But say to God, confess. Homo legeo. It's to say the same as God says. See sin as God sees sin. It's wrong. It's sin. Pursuing a relationship when you're married is wrong. It doesn't matter what text, email, just flirting at work. It's wrong. It's sin. Don't do it. Well, you know, it's kind of fun. You know, I've been married seven years. God, I've been committed for, I mean, I I, want to sow some oats or whatever. It's wrong. It's always wrong. But your heart gets hard, and then pretty soon there's a divorce. There's so many things like that. We cheat in different areas of our lives, and we justify it, but God doesn't want us to compromise in any way. You don't want to be in this place where God gives you up to your own desires, to your own choices. You don't want to be here. All of these horrible plagues God brings on Egypt, he's working. He's working because he wants to liberate. He wants to free his people from what? from bondage, from slavery, to what? Sin. Egypt represents sin. And God wants to liberate his people. And guess what? Tonight, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't know him, he liberates you from your sin. He forgives you from all unrighteousness. But you you have to do more than just regret your sin. You have to confess your sin. You have to admit that it's as bad as God says it is. And then you come to God and put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. So the question is, where are you in the story? You saved? You put your faith in Christ? Or or are you like Pharaoh, hard? You're unable to do it because you like your sin too much. Maybe there are some here tonight that really recognize how empty their life is. I mean, I'm a Christian. I, I have a full life, and it's not easy to be a Christian. There's hardships. There's difficulties. And yet, oh, I just have hope. I have the hope of heaven. I have the hope of eternal life. I've got Christ. I've got all the promises in the Scripture. Jesus died for me, and he's liberated me from sin. And 
foolish choices and dumb decisions. God's forgiven me. Oh, how I thank the Lord. You can be there too if you only come to Jesus Christ. The promise is simple. Here it is behind me on the screen, John 6, 37. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Come to Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. His arms are open wide, and he'll receive you, and he'll make you new. Let's pray.